the hell is this guy doing over there? Casey, hey, wake up. What, what's going on over there? Oh, hey. Hey, I'm sorry, Ray. I've been sitting here for like an hour. <laughs> I'm sorry. I took some of those Sunday scaries that we talked about last week on the show. Yeah. And I got this incredible pillow from Sweet Z Mattress. And I I must have just dozed off here before the show. I, I apologize, man. Mm, looks pretty cushy. Dude, this is, I'm going to tell you something. This is one of the best pillows that I've ever rested my head on. 100% all organic plant-based materials. Hmm. I have been getting some great sleep with this pillow and uh, by taking those Sunday scaries that we talked about last week. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Cool. Where can somebody get a pillow like that? Oh, it's very easy. All you have to do is go over to sweetzmattress.com and that's sweet Z Z Z mattress dot com and use the promo code deluxe 15 at checkout and they'll get 15 percent off of their entire order hmm. that's awesome yeah it's really awesome right they have awesome beds pillows all kinds of stuff it's really good stuff all organic 100 percent plant-based Use code DELUXE15 at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, the artist formerly known as Ray the Podcaster. He is L. Ray Sexton. What is going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. How are you? We just had another fantastic interview. Hell yeah, man. What a good one. We will uh, we will be honest with everyone because that's what we're all about. We did have some uh, technical difficulties, but we just had the great Doug Jones on the show, which you'll be hearing in a few minutes right after this quick house cleaning. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all the other great shows over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Find the podcasts of the month like barrel-aged flicks well you will see ron during this interview and uh hilf history i'd like to fuck with don brody they are the podcasts of the month over on the network the den or or the network as some of uh some of the listen some of the 
the networkers call it. If you'd like to support the show, come on over to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. And over there, you will be able to find the show immediately after it is recorded, unedited, with all the flaws. If you'd like that kind of stuff, come check it out. You can also hear about what we talk about before and after the show with the guest. Come check it out. Check out all of our previous shows over at deluxeedition.show. And let's see, if you want to buy a t-shirt, nice weather's coming up, go get a t-shirt, whatamaneuver.net slash collection slash deluxe dash edition. Ray, where can people find you, bud? I am the 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Just put in 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast. You can go to Tee Public and get yourself some sweet, sweet merch. I am really pushing the white chick tank tops for summer. And I think you know why it has to be white. Don't waste your time with any other color. Go get those bootlegs, Ray's the bootleg oh, monster. And look at uh, that. Look at that. That's the, that is the bootleg deluxe edition that is available at my Tee Public store. That's right. And uh, speaking of T-shirts, I do have to give a shout out here to the Haunted Tales podcast. Uh, I got the I won this uh, I won this T-shirt on uh, an Instagram gimmick that they had. So thank you very much, Haunted Tales Network. Not uh, the Haunted Tales podcast. Not a part of the network yet. So uh, check them out. And here is our interview with. Doug Jones. Thanks so much, man. So, uh, what what does uh, what how's your weekend going, man? What does Doug Jones do on his off time? You're you're so busy constantly. Uh, right. I'm a very boring person. I I don't have like any like great exciting hobbies. I don't horseback ride. I don't uh, play tennis. I just basically watch the Hallmark <laughs> Channel and sip coffee. <laughs> hey, that sounds all right. <laughs> For as hard as you work and as many uh, you know movies and. TV shows and films that you're doing, you know, just sitting back and relaxing. There's nothing wrong with uh, not having any hobbies or anything. Well, that's very, very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> One of my questions going down the line here, you know, talking about that. So I guess you don't write no like side side projects or anything going on, like no writing. Well, I mean, uh, uh, unlike other actors who want to direct and produce, I, I don't want to do any of those things. Writing. Um, I do have a writing project. Uh, it would be in the form of a novel, though. I'm more of a paragraph writer than a than a script writer. So okay. uh, I'm four chapters into a novel that I started during the pandemic. And uh, since then, I went, had to go back into production um, on Star Trek Discovery. And uh, and then once I got so I haven't gone back to my book yet. I, I need to get back to chapter five now. Sure. Is, can you can you tell us what the book is going to be about at all? No, it's well, it's sort of like a uh, it's the lead character of this book is me basically from about twenty years ago. So he's an actor who does lots of uh, rubber bits, monster uh, roles, and um, but uh, he handles his his lack of fame a lot differently than I did. <laughs> so he goes on an adventure to a small town and he gets very famous there. Um, in, in the middle of Kansas somewhere. Kind Very of a cool. fun twist. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. I've been starting to read a lot more lately. So um, that, that will be interesting to read. 
I don't know where to start with your career, Doug. There's just so much to talk about. And we jump around on this show so much. Like, it's, nothing's going to be in order here. I just have a, a ton of notes. Uh, I want to start with you working on the ultimate legacy with uh, Raquel Welch, uh, Brian Dennehy, Bill Cobbs, Lee Merriweather. Yeah. Great yes. movie. Um, yeah. yeah. That, well, thank you for even knowing about that. Yeah. Uh, that was on the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. And uh, that was kind of a dream for me because I, I, I love the Hallmark channels. I've, I've discovered that while I was working on dark and dismal, you know, uh, movies and where I'm wearing, uh, you know, latex foam rubber makeups and costumes and being dripped with like KY jelly and, and attacking people. So, so when I got the, I got just a phone call for the producer of that, the ultimate legacy just sent me an, an email saying, Hey, I have you, have you in mind for the, the Butler in this, uh, this, this feel good story with um, Raquel Welsh being your, your boss lady that, that uh, the owner of the estate that you work at. And Brian Denny, he was a, uh, was a was a, a recurring character in this series of movies the ultimate the ultimate gift the ultimate um life and the ultimate legacy was the, was part three and he was in all three of them james garner was in the first one and then a whole young cast of uh, of uh, young pretty people that ha- had all the issues uh, to work through so uh but working with uh, you know lee merriweather bill cobbs um, Brian Dennehy and Raquel Welsh were all like a generation above me, which is hard to find anymore. When I get on a movie set, I'm usually the oldest guy there. So it was lovely to work with these legendary actors uh, and be in their presence and be like young enough to be their kid. It was like, it was great. Yeah. And then you were, uh, like you said, you were Raquel Welch's butler. You got to drive her around in the scene. I saw your selfie. The uh, Is that is that a no-no? You, you were, were you afraid to ask her for a, a picture? That's why she wasn't looking at the camera because she didn't know it was being taken. Yeah, it was. Uh, she for, she forbid she forbid selfies on set. So we uh, so I kind of went like, mm-hmm, yeah. And God bless her, rest her soul. She's she passed away now, so I can talk about it. But <laughs> well, before that's, I mean, for someone as beautiful as she was, I mean, and especially on set, I mean, that's when she's looking her best. You know, why why would all done she up? You would think that would be the time thing. to grab a selfie. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. Yeah, it's a it's a great movie. Um, if I remember listening back to a bunch of interviews, are you are you vegan? No, I don't know where that would oh, ever okay. come out. I'm a mo- omnivore. All right. I use I, all my teeth. All right, <laughs> because I laughed at when Brian Dennehy says in that uh, it's a very funny part in the movie. He oh, says uh, to uh, you know someone, someone's a vegan. <laughs> yeah, they tell you. Yeah, they'll tell you right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, if uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a it's a great movie. I think I found it on I don't know Prime, Amazon Prime, or somewhere. I think so. Yeah, and you can buy the. I have a DVD here at home that I think I purchased through Amazon Prime myself. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really great movie, man. Well, so, thank you. It's really uh, you know most most people know you from you know you doing the you know you talked about being in rubber suits and all that stuff. Do you prefer doing those? Or do you prefer movies like The Ultimate Legacy, where you just are a regular person? Oh, right. Well, I, I can't. It, the word "prefer" is just t- it's tough to um, to use that when talking about my silly career because um, there are pluses and minuses to all types of roles that I've played. You know, um, 
when you're in a rubber makeup and you're glued into something and you've become, and you, they've changed your look entirely, that does afford me the chance to play a wider array of characters than I could ever do with my own face. And it's, and also gives me some longevity in my career. Uh, you know, you're not aging on film when you're covered in rubber, but, um, but then the, and the outcome of that has been, um, you know, I've been on the stage at the Oscars when the shape of water won best picture. Uh, I attended the Oscars years before when Pan's Labyrinth had six nominations. And, and, um, so I, I, it has afforded me a lot, those kinds of roles and those kinds of pictures with a director like Guillermo del Toro, especially. Um, but then when I get to do something like the ultimate legacy or, or another, uh, indie film that I did that I loved, my name is Jerry. It's on the YouTube in its entirety for free. My name is Jerry. I played the title character of Jerry, a midlife uh, crisis fellow, <laughs> middle-aged guy. Going through my midlife crisis, I was going to, I wanted to bring that up next. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, um, Getting to do something that comedic and and uh, it, with you know being in the makeup trailer for ten minutes instead of four hours is there's there's a plus to that too of course of course sure yeah so let's talk about uh, my name is Jerry I just watched that last night another oh, great movie you're the you're the lead in that uh, with Don Stark from uh, he, everybody a lot of people know him from the '70s show uh, Stephen Yen I believe this might have been uh, Stephen Yen's first role first movie uh, ever people yes. know him from glenn as the you know from walking dead another f- very funny part in this movie before you you know you tell us a little bit about it but when you shake the guy's fist when he gives goes to give you the fist bump <laughs> and you go to, and you shake his hand i yeah, laughed so like loud because, yeah i laughed right. so loud during that because i was a pro wrestler right out of high school and people used to go to fist bump me all the time. And yeah. I used to shake their fist. I used to shake oh. their fist exactly like that. Awesome. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. Fun. yeah it's, that was Steven. Steven Young was living in Chicago at the time. We filmed that, that. My name is Jerry in Indiana and that's my home state. That's where I come from. So uh, they did some local casting uh, close, the closest uh, big city with that had a talent pool would have been Chicago. So yeah, he came from there and had a, an, a strong improv background and, you know, very comedic. So uh, he was a delight to work with. And I'm very proud of his success since then with The Walking Dead and also his Oscar nomination for uh, Minari. So he's, yeah, he's, he's gone, he's gone a lot, a lot of places. But that movie came about, uh, the, the director and writer of that, Morgan Mead, was a film student out here in Los Angeles back in the dark, uh, gosh, 2004. And I uh, got a hold of my, my agent at the time and asked if I would, would do a role, a small cameo in his uh, short thesis film for his, uh, for his film school. And I, I was, I, I, it was a time when I was entertaining more of those. Um, I had more time. And so, but I wanted to have a sit down coffee date with him just to see like, what's the, what's the story he wants to tell? What's his vibe? You know, well, is this a good situation to get myself into or not? And you never know with a student film. So we met at a coffee shop in Burbank and three hours later, we're laughing. I, every, I just loved this kid. Uh, and he had a lot of toys in his head and, and I liked his, his, his creativity and his storytelling abilities. So I thought, I said, yes, you know what? I want to be in, in, I, I would like to do your short film and I would like to be in anything else you ever make uh, in your entire career as well. So, uh, we did our, we did his short film, uh, and he, he passed with flying colors, uh, and went back and then he went back home to Indiana where he's also from 
and um, started working his, his life and uh, wrote a feature film script and emailed it to me and said, I don't know if you want to be in this or not, but I wrote this for you. And it was, my name is Jerry. So I, I read the script and it was like, oh gosh, it was just a, a, a breath of fresh air for me because I, I often get sent scripts in the horror genre or the science fiction genre or the comic book genre where it's like, I have to be something fantastical. And here it was a regular guy. Sure. Uh, you know, when you've got a middle-aged guy going through a midlife crisis, uh, that's something I am and have done. So um, I understood Jerry uh, better than I should have. And uh, <laughs> so getting to play him was was a real treat for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he played on my, you know, whatever comedic uh, skills he thought I had, uh, Morgan, as, as the writer. And um, I, I just love and, – and also Catherine Hicks was my, was my boss lady in that movie from Seventh Heaven. Right? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I know they, they, they assembled quite a good cast for the budget they didn't have. Yeah. Right. How, I want to know how, uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with you, but how does Don Stark constantly get booked to marry these beautiful women in these, <laughs> these roles? He wasn't Kath. Well, no, Catherine Hicks was like his mistress in this and he was married to, uh, Tanya Roberts in the, that 70s show. Like, right. Right. I, you know, and, and to look at Don, you wouldn't think, but, but that's not I'm not here to judge, you know. I, I don't want anyone looking at my wife and saying that I married up either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, yeah, it's a great movie. Like like uh, Doug said, it's on YouTube. You can find it there. Really good movie, man. Yeah, and my so, I, my it's a, it's kind of a, re- a reconciliation story with, too with my daughter in the story, played by Allison Scaliotti, uh, who you also knew from. Oh golly, what's the show she was on on Sci Fi Channel for years? Um, it's not going to hit me now. Sorry. Uh, I would have studied up, but I bet we're going to touch on this one. Not, not anybody uh, usually, usually finds my name is Jerry. That's what, uh, that's what we do here, Doug. We find, we do deep dives here. I'm going to bring mm. up some other things that I'm sure no one has ever talked to you about. There was something else I wanted to say about my name is Jerry. Now I can't remember. Mm. Uh, that's okay. So we'll move on to another movie that, you play uh, just a well, not a regular person. You play the killer in this movie, beneath the leaves with uh, Paul Servino and his uh, his daughter. Mina. Is it Mina? Mira? Mina Cer- Mira. Mira. Yeah, you play the killer in this movie. Another yeah. good one, man. Oh, thank you. Uh, that was another. Uh, the, the filmmakers, the uh, the um, came looking for me uh, and just kind of. You know, this, this crazy guy who uh, you know, was kind of a serial killer um, that when that had had oh he was just very very disturbed character that I get I get offered a lot of disturbed roles, um, kind of the Anthony Perkins thing I think I have going on uh, where I, I seem like an unassuming tall skinny guy but then with an evil streak underneath. <laughs> so uh, to in beneath the leaves, yeah, there was a. Uh, you know, flashbacks to to all a lot of these lead actor boys that were in, in, as children that I terrorized and sexualized. And it was a, it was just a terrible. Uh, he was a, I played a terrible person, and then now that they're grown up, I'm coming after them again to finish the job that I thought I had started back in the day. Uh, so it was it was dark as can be, but I got my my just uh, my just uh, death in the end. And that was Mira Sorvina that brought me down as the lead detective on the on the story. Uh, and her detective partner was played by Chris, Christopher Palaha, 
who is another big name on the Hallmark Channel. He's in a ton of movies there. Um, and uh, uh, he was he was a, a, a detective partner with Mira Sorvino. And he was also one of the boys that I went after when he was younger. So that's the, how that story kind of came together. Um, and uh, so, I, and again, I got to play a human. Uh, but, and I, it, you know, those, those, those roles are not, a, a dark, disturbed person like that is not where I live my real life. So it isn't, these are acting challenges for me, for sure, to dig into that mindset and what would make this person tick and what, why, how does he come up with his wants and needs and, and are they, uh, uh, why do you say, why has he made the life choices that he's made? And it does, it, may, it does make you self reflect, like, because any one of us could, could dip into a dark place in our lives if we want to, uh, we all have that potential. And that's the scary thing you find out when you're acting these roles. It's like, oh my gosh. You know, to, to play this role correctly, I had to find that headspace. And it was like, it was not a pleasant, it was a scary place to be. So I clock out at the end of the day. And when I come home, it's it's just Dougie. So maybe it is easier sometimes to play a character who is covered completely in rubber where people can't see your faces uh, because you don't have to maybe do that, that, you know, like the, yeah. the deep dive of the character or am I no, wrong? No, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I would never say easier. No, uh, because I still have to find all those internal things to play a character. Even if it's a monster, you know, uh, scraping down a hallway after somebody, there has to be an intention, a want, a need, a love, a fear, you know, whatever, whatever that character is made up of has to, that's, that still work for an actor to do. And then you add the added, the added uh, challenges of the heat, the weight, the stickiness of a costume and makeup. Uh, no, it's not an, not easier at all. Uh, emotionally, it's it's less exposing, perhaps, because it's not my real face doing all these things. Uh, but but in in the end, uh, you know, no, I, the easier days are when I get to be a human, um, and okay. uh, and then just you know work on the character. Sure. Oh, I, I remember what I wanted to talk about. Uh, my name is Jerry. That had something to do with uh, the college that you went to, right? Ball, it was Ball State. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, uh, the, um, the, the writer director I told you about Morgan Mead had also attended Ball State University for maybe a year. Uh, he didn't do his whole, that's why he finished at a film school in Los Angeles. He didn't, didn't finish uh, there, but, but because of his connection there and my connection, that's where I graduated with my bachelor's degree back in 1982. Um, he, uh, uh, he went to finance the film. He was having trouble, you know, finding, that's any filmmaker's biggest issue is finding the money to make their movie. Uh, so he actually had a, a conversation with the Indiana film commission and to explain his story and like, what would, what would they suggest? And they're the ones who gave him the idea. Well, since you and your lead actor, um, Doug Jones, both attended ball state university, why don't you go to them, talk to their film department and see if there would be any kind of a collaboration to do. So he did that. And they were very excited at the idea. Because uh, they were the now other colleges have done this in the meantime, but I think this was the first example of a commercially viable feature film being made at a university with our our department heads were professionals from Hollywood or other other big cities around the, the country and their staffs uh, the the crew that was built up under those department heads were all students from Ball State getting credit for uh, class credit. Uh, for uh, for being on our crew. So uh, it was a great way to, you know, talk about budget conscious. That was a, a very cheap way to, to uh, yeah, assemble a crew. 
who were all paying tuition to be there, right? So uh, sure. it was a, a very, very ingenious uh, thing. And, and it was, they put all the crew through a boot camp ahead of filming, uh, the, a production boot camp. So to, sh- to, to show them, here's how it works on a real film set. Here's how you carry a sandbag. Here's how you set up a C stand. These are all, you know, technical things that, that we uh, build, build a set with. And, uh, and here's how you assist a camera operator. Here's how, you, how you're supposed to carry their bags around. And here's how you put up a reflector sheet and all kinds of things. And um, so by the time I got there to the set, I had a, I was in front of a working professional crew that I wouldn't, couldn't tell the difference of any other thing I've ever worked on before. But they were just all a lot younger. Uh, and, and they had an excitement in their eyes. And, a, you know, they were so happy to be there and to be um, you know, working on a real movie. And it, it's kind of reminded me like, this is why I st- entered show business with that kind of, you know, uh, excitement and hope for my own future and all of that. It was, so it was really a lovely, beautiful environment to work in. Once again, if anyone hasn't seen that, uh, my name is Jerry, go check it out. And uh, beneath the leaves, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, beneath the leaves, Doug? No, oh, gosh, no. No. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Again, that was it was it was such a dark <laughs> role for me, uh, but I did um, poor Sidarius, and I, I'm going to forget his now his last name. Um, uh, he was the one in, in a motel room. He was one of one of the, the the young boys grown up now as an adult that I mm-hmm. I hire. I sort of like my character hires a uh, a prostitute to lure him into a motel room, tie him up on the bed, and he's kind of excited and blindfolded, and the blindfold comes off and I'm there now. So I've traded places with her and I'm kind of like, uh, so I find a very seductive, horrible way to poison him until he uh, froths at the mouth and his eyes turn bloodshot and, uh, and he wriggles to his death. So and, uh, that was, uh, that was beneath the leaves. And then years later, uh, I, I was just so apologetic to him. Uh, you know, when you're acting a scene like that, and here's this guy in his underwear, and you're straddling him on a bed like while, while poisoning his mouth, and oh my gosh, it was just hideous. So years later, we were in another film together called. Um, uh, it was called The Knocking. Um, it is now retitled, I think. Don't, don't, uh, don't answer the door. Don't op- don't open the door. I think it's not out yet. It's still coming. Uh, and I'm the one who you shouldn't be answering the door for. And he was unfortunate, an unfortunate character in that. I haunted him in that movie too. So, so to see him again on set, it's like, I have to apologize for beneath the leaves. I'm going to apologize for today as well. Okay. So. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right. So uh, let's see the next thing. Well, I, I have a note here in my notes and there's nothing behind it. Tony Gardner. Does it, what, what, what does that name mean to you? Well, Tony Gardner is the creature effects makeup designer, makeup artist who created my Billy Butcherson look for Hocus Pocus. And because of him and how well that movie shoot went for us 30 years ago, he um, and I have kept in touch. Uh, And, um, you know, a lot of my career has happened because of referrals from people just like him, um, where they've worked with me and, and because they they liked what I did performance wise in their makeup creation they also like the banter and the the hang the hangout time you know did we get along was there a good good sense of humor between us and all that so tony was just the you know the living epitome of of that relationship with me um so 
he started referring me for every job he, you could imagine. Um, he was, um, uh, you know, I mean, if the role called for a short, fat fellow, uh, he would say Doug Jones is perfect for that <laughs> at six, three and 135 pounds. Uh, so, so that's kind of, awesome. I, that's the kind of friend you need, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. So I, I, he, because of him that I did a small cameo in, uh, in adaptation with Nicholas Cage and, uh, Meryl Streep and, um, uh, he, um, oh gosh, was he responsible for a, a FedEx commercial I did and for, uh, I did a small cameo and stuck on you with, uh, Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. Uh, I, oh, the list goes on and on, including all the way up to Hocus Pocus 2, 29. We filmed that last year, 29 years after the first one came out. And, uh, so, uh, so he recreated my makeup on me again, looking exactly the same as I did all, three decades before. So uh, uh, Tony and I, we, we have a lot of rich, lovely history. Very cool. Very cool. So I want to talk to you about, there's another, uh, you talked about these indie things that you do. Dying is easy. You're only in it for a very short time, but you play uh, the Riddler. It's a Batman yeah. fan film with uh, Michael Madsen as Harvey Bullock. Kevin Porter plays Batman and uh very popular cosplayer on Instagram. Vera Bambi plays Poison Ivy. Um, mm-hmm. How do you get involved with something like this? Right. Well, uh, uh, Bat in the Sun is the production company name, and they've done a lot of DC Comics kind of short film fan films um, that are, but their YouTube channel has millions of subscribers and views. So they're actually huge. It's like it's like they're a television production, co- you know, company uh, on their own. They had a show called, uh, oh gosh, they had a, a sort of a reality a show called. Like it, it was like a who would win in a battle, uh, uh, hero battles. I'm not, I can't remember what the, what the show was called, but they caught me in the hallway at San Diego Comic Con once, recognizing who I was, and the, hey Doug, we're back in the sun. We have this show called. Can we do a quick interview with you? So like on the spot, you know who would win in a fight, uh, um, Superman or the Silver Surfer, which I played in the Marvel uh, movie Silver Surfer, yeah. uh, Fantastic Four. So I had to answer on camera. Well, I think in between these two. Uh, I'm going to say the Silver Surfer, actually. Even though Superman has a lot of powers, the Silver, Silver Surfer has the power cosmic. I mean, I brought planets down. Uh, so, <laughs> um, anyway, so that's how we met. And that same production company is what who did all of these um, very slick, high production value, um, scripted, uh, you know, short films that, that, that pay homage to all characters. So, uh, Kevin Porter, who plays their Batman, and he is one of the best Batmans I have ever seen on film. And that includes all of the ones who have been in the big WB <laughs> Warner Brothers movies. Kevin Porter, he really channels what Batman should be from the comic books and, and beyond. Um, he and I befriended each other over the years, too. We, we have, have had many lunch dates together. So uh, so between him, my connection to him, and my connection to the Bat and the Sun producers and, and writers... Uh, they collaborated with this. They wanted to do another Batman short called Dying is Easy, where he really has his his uh, a showdown with the Joker. But on his way to get to the Joker, he went goes through you know this uh, this prison area where a lot of the Batman um, villains are uh, are jailed up. The Riddler being one of them. And uh, so I think they'd had a lot of fan fodder, uh, like who you know um, over the on the internet saying that you know Doug Jones should play the Riddler. Uh, so, so they came, reached out to me and I said, heck yeah. 
So it was one day in my life uh, that we shot during the pandemic. It was the, actually, that was the first thing I filmed after, after the world shut down. Uh, uh, and it was really, really great. It was great to be back on the set again and um, uh, filming something that, that had such love behind it and such, such fan support. I, again, yeah, like you said, I was in it for just a split second as Batman walks by me. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, giving a little silly riddle in my head. So I had to, it was one line of dialogue, but it was tough to memorize because it was kind of lyrical and, and, uh, and you know, uh, riddly, of course, because I was sure. a riddler. So, uh, so there's a good good chance that, that, I'll, uh, that I'll be back with them again doing something else in, in another uh, Batman fan film of some sort, uh, hopefully with playing more Riddler and more of him, let's hope. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, that that I was very surprised at how, how well that was done. It's it's really really good. You've been looking pretty good these last few weeks, man. Yeah, I got a, a secret stash of the stuff in the mail. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you got the Caldera Lab stuff too, huh? I did get it. Dude, this is some great stuff, man. It's a 3 product regimen. Um, you can go to their website and check the uh, the third-party results yourself. You don't have to believe Ray or I, but we've both been using it. It's great stuff. The three-product regimen of the good, the base layer, and the clean slate, people who have used it are experiencing smoother and healthier-looking skin. It's really great stuff. Go over to calderalab.com and use promo code DELUXE for 20% off. This is a great deal, Ray. Yeah. Look good, feel good, live good. That's what I always say. Absolutely. CalderaLab.com. Use promo code DELUXE for 20% off of your entire order. There's one more thing I want to talk to you about before we get into uh, the fan questions. We have a, a bunch of fan questions. Uh, no, I actually have a few more things, too. Um, Tales from the Crypt with Ernie Hudson and Joan Chen. Yeah. This is going back a little oh. bit sure is and um i did so little on that show uh i just one episode was set in the 1930s um uh circus tent sort of a theme i like a sideshow thing. so i being a contortionist i can put my legs behind my head uh i got cast as a circus contortionist sideshow person um i think or, yeah and i I didn't really brush with Ernie. I i did with Joan just Joan Chen a little bit gosh that and this was during her I think she was right off of her uh, days on Twin Peaks, wasn't she? Um, yeah, yeah, and just yep. like such such a dynamic screen presence, and to be in her in in front of her live and in person was just like, oh, she's so beautiful! Oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, I didn't. Ernie Hudson was kind of the uh, kind of the ringmaster sort of uh, announcer person for this sideshow circus uh, traveling tent show. Um, and I, so I just, I was just out there for one day and, uh, and I, I watched how, as they carried the, the scene around, um, the camera kind of went by me at one point, I was supposed to do something funny and tw- twist it up, but, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of wasn't much. Um, so when okay. did you, you mentioned that you, you know, you're a contortionist and I know that you did a lot of com- commercials where you had to get into small boxes and, and things like that. When did you learn, you. like, when did you figure out that you could do things like that yeah when i was a kid yeah you know you um i I sat in funny positions while watching tv or something and my brothers would be like that looks really weird and i'd be like oh you think that's weird we'll try you know and just be a push to the next the next level 
and then, then you become a party trick, you know, oh, do, do, show them that thing you do. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I never had, I never really traveled with a circus in real life as a contortionist. Uh, Cause I, I'm kind of a one trick pony. I can put my legs, you know, behind my head sort of this way. And, um, but that one gas sight gag has come in handy over the, the course of my career. I did a lot of TV commercials and a lot of sitcom appearances in my early days uh, because that was the sight gag I brought with me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mo, when I was a kid, uh, I don't know if I can still do it. When I was a kid, my friends used to always make me, yeah, I can still do it. They used to make me bend oh, my thumb back no. like that. Cause <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's the face that that's quite unsavory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get into uh, some of the things that you've done uh, as a monster. I want to talk about uh, Pan's Labyrinth a little bit. Last week, we talked to Bose Venson, and uh, in a lot of his older movies, they were filmed in Italy, and when he's talking, you can tell that he's speaking English, but the other actors are not, and I asked him about that, and I said, you know, how did you... What what was going on like behind the scenes? And he said, I have no idea what they were saying. He said, sometimes they would even just say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And listening to the interviews that uh, that you've done, that was something that Guillermo had asked or he told you that you could do that, that you could just say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Or right. But you wanted to learn the actual dialogue for the movie. Right. Uh, um, Pan's Labyrinth. It was a, a, a Spanish language film uh, that I read a, an English version of the script for when I said yes to it. And then I was informed it would be in the Spanish language that it was filmed. In. So I was like, oh, I'm going to ruin your movie. I can't do this. Uh, and that's when he said, oh, you can count to 10 for all I care. I'll, you know, I'll dub over <laughs> later, but I need you to play the fawn. So I was like, oh, wow. I don't, <sighs> don't know. So I think that was very... Um, very, very intelligent, wise of him to, he knew what he was doing because he knew that I wouldn't let it go with my mouth, you know, saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, he probably knew that I would, I, I would buckle down and learn the language, which I did. I learned the language of the film so that I could carry on a dialogue back and forth with the young actor, uh, uh, Ivana Becero, who played Ophelia. And uh, so, yeah, it would have made no sense. And she was 11 years old at the time. Can you imagine counting to 10 in English in front of a Spanish young actor and, and getting some emotion back out of her? That would have been the, <laughs> the wrong thing to do. So, right. I, uh, so I, I learned the language with my own, my own accent I threw onto it. Uh, and in the end, I, and I still was dubbed over in the end, and I should have been. Uh, but, but the crew was saying, like, you know, uh, I had many comments. Uh, people thought that I, that I was a native speaker. Uh, but I said, we don't know where you're from, though, uh, you know, because uh, you don't have an American accent. We can't quite detect where your accent is from. I thought, well, that really actually would have worked for the film because the Fawn character in Pan's Labyrinth was from the underworld and from a fantasy place. So why would he sound like he's from Barcelona or, you know, <laughs> right. So uh, so you learned the you learned the Spanish for the movie. Did you know what you were learning? Like, how did you know what you were learning yes. or did you just learn the Spanish and not have any idea what you were saying? No, no. I, uh, yeah, that's a, 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 a mistake that people have said is that I learned it phonetically and that would just be just memorizing sounds. Uh, no, I actually knew the language I was speaking uh, because <clears throat> I had an English translation and a Spanish translation of the script side by side so that I could 
figure out sentence structure, what meant what, you know. Uh, so I, I, did, I learned it word for word, knowing exactly what I was saying. Yeah. Have you retained any of that? No, gosh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, uh, one line comes to mind. Uh, Soy un fauno, vuestro más humilde subito, majestad. Which is, uh, I, I, I'm a fawn, your most humble servant, your majesty. The voice actor that came in to dub over you, he actually said, "Why am I here?" Because you did such a great job. Right? That was on. That was Hellboy One. The first oh, okay. Hellboy movie was. Uh, I was dubbed over by David Hyde Pierce, and he said when he heard my. And that was this movie in English, so I, there was no reason to dub over me there, except for at the time uh, of Hellboy One, he was a bigger name than me, and the studio kind of wanted to put a bigger name attached to that role. Uh, so David Hyde Pierce was very kind and, and didn't think he needed to be there when he heard my original performance and he ended up taking his name out of the credits. So um, if you watch the the movie, actually uh, the opening credits didn't, don't have his name in it. And the rolling credits at the end do not have his name in it. He didn't show up at the red carpet premiere, didn't sign autographs, nothing because he didn't want to steal limelight from me. It was very, very, very sweet and unnecessary of him, but I, but I, I love him dearly for that. That's now in your contract though. They, that they cannot dub your voice anymore. Right. Right. When I, when I'm uh, right. When I'm uh, contracting for movies now, that's a that's a clause that has to be in there, or or we're not going to see me in it. Probably is, yeah. is is that clause called the Darth Vader clause? No, <laughs> I know it happened to David Prowse as well. Yes, but uh, but no, I, I, that's that's kind of a common occurrence where you know they'll have a, a celebrity voiceover in some kind of when there's when when your face is obliterated, they they think immediately, oh, you know, maybe we can get a famous voice for this. Uh, but, um, so I would, I would like to be that voice, uh, cause when I take on an acting role, I want to play the whole thing. I don't want to have part of my performance missing when the movie comes out. Sure. So you've yeah. worked, uh, in six of Guillermo's movies, uh, 12 different characters in six of his movies. Mm-hmm. Is there any, now most of his movies you're, you're in, you are in a suit. Um, is there any yes. improv with him? Like, or is it all what he wants? Like, you know, in the shape of water, you don't have any dialogue, but like movements or, or things like that. Is there something that you'll do that you want to do? And he'll say, no. No, oh, no, no, no. He's very collaborative. Uh, he absolutely has a vision for everything that he's ever filmed ever in his life, uh, which, you know, we all can appreciate his, his visionary storytelling. But if you have an idea or you, uh, or he has certain bullet points he wants you to hit with the character and then go home and, and come up with something on your own. That's why he hires the actors that he does because he trusts us to come back with something that is film worthy for him. So he's, he's done it with me several times where he'll just, he'll just talk with me about, you know, here's a couple of traits or idiosyncrasies or things, uh, uh, personality traits I want to see with a different character uh, or creature that I want you to play. And then I'll get, I'll come back with, that so the hellway moves for instance uh would be um abe sapien was a fish man mutant so basically he didn't give me a whole lot of notes on on abe sapien i just you know that just what was in the script that he had written uh that he's you know very intelligent he reads three books at a time um he's the calming influence next to the the brash hellboy character um and so I kind of took a note from my goldfish in a, in a, a home office fish tank of mine 
uh, how how the calming their fins were, and how curious their their heads were as they darted around. So I um, kind of made Abe Sapien. His head was more perky and curious, and his hands would be more fin like. So uh, when I brought that to the table, he was like, "I love that," and never we never talked about it again. So <laughs> very simple. So with with a lot of his movies, you're brought in very early to rehearse things. Uh, because of maybe being in the suit and stuff, is that a normal thing that other directors will do? It's a that's a luxury that you don't always get. Uh, but for instance, um, with because the makeup process uh, creation starts, uh, they have to start doing test fittings and 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 camera tests with creatures long before other actors are even cast. Often, so I do get more time with the character than most actors do uh, on his films. And in the Shape of Water, uh, once. Once that process was done, we actually I had rehearsal time with Sally Hawkins, the lead actress. Uh, we had three weeks of dance rehearsal time because that movie went off to um, a uh, uh, she went into a fantasy uh, of that she was in a an, an MGM musical, uh, and so we had a dance routine to do. And so neither one of us being trained dancers, we had about three weeks of rehearsal before the movie started filming, which was really actually very helpful for both of us. Not only did we learn a dance routine, we also learned some trust with each other and we got to you know, know each other really well. We cried together. We laughed together. We shared our fears of like how big this movie was for us and will, are we up to the task? And so we actually had a camaraderie between the two of us. That uh, that hopefully then by the time we went to camera uh, three weeks later, uh, we had a chemistry already built in that I, I hope showed up in, in the movie. You know, before we get into our fan questions, we have uh, a new segment that we've been doing with uh, with Ray here. It's called Real Questions, and I promise Ray this will be the last time that I ever tell this uh, the 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 story okay. that goes with the real questions. So. Uh, Doug, I sort of catfished you into being here through. Uh, I I run Mark Singer's, uh, oh, right, yes, Instagram page and his Facebook page, and uh, when I started that, I I keep getting these uh, likes from a blue check mark, Doug Jones, and uh, yeah. that's how I, I and Mark did you know Mark did want to start a podcast and all that stuff, and that that's how we connected. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he wants to do that anymore, but, uh, so I know you're a fan of Marx, big fan of Marx. In fact, I, I discovered him in a, uh, gosh, I think it was a TV movie he did back in the eighties. Uh, and I rented, but it was put on VHS tape and I rented it from my local video store when I was living in Indiana. It was called, if you could see what I hear, he played a blind college student, uh, dating a, uh, oh gosh, uh, Sherry Belafonte was his girlfriend in the movie. Yep. And I, I, he was, he was fantastic in that. And I'm like, who is that blonde guy? And then sure enough, he comes out in the Beastmaster years later. And then what it was on Dallas. And, uh, uh, was it, was it, was the show, was it V? Yep. Yep. V. Yeah. 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 So no, I, he's popped up everywhere since. And so I've been, I, and I love him in everything he's ever done. So yeah. yeah. So getting, getting a response from the Mark Singer, um, Instagram account, even if it was run by you, Casey, uh, was like a, a big, a big thrill for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, imagine now I, how I feel that I'm his friend and that I get, that I hang out with him occasionally, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. And he came up 
So the the reason, and I promise this will be the la- for everyone listening, and that listen, this is the last <laughs> time I'll ever tell this story. But um, he came up with this segment for us. It's called Real Questions. Mm-hmm. I was showing him. He was he was asking me about like what gets us uh, notice on our in, our on our YouTube channel, and I said it's uh, these shorts and these reels that are about a minute long. And I was showing him our channel and the shorts and reels that I was that I was posting had nothing to do with our podcast. And he, he said, well, okay, it's bringing attention to your channel, but what does this have to do with your podcast? And I said, well, nothing. He goes, all right, well, give me a couple days to think about it and, uh, and I'll see what I can come up with. So I watched him, he backed out of the space next to me and I watched him drive away and I was putting in my GPS where I was to head to next and he came up and scared the shit out of me and knocked on my window and he said okay uh, how long do you did you say these things are and i said uh like 30 seconds to a minute he said okay uh ask me the craziest question that you can think of and i i'm not good at this stuff so i was like uh what did you have for breakfast this morning and he goes okay that's why ray's gonna ask the question and you're gonna time it and they're called real questions and he just he just walked away <laughs> Okay. R E E L questions. So, like, <laughs> so Ray. All right. Uh, so you got your timer ready there, Casey. Yep. All right. How, how much? How long do we give them? A minute. Yeah, a minute. Okay. okay. So you love to be creatures in movies, correct? Does but, but, does, that, yeah. does that love come from when you were? portraying charlie the cardinal at ball state university (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna say yes and ball state university will take credit for my career because they were the first costume character i ever played was this big floppy bird in a a cardinal and a big red bird suit with yellow tights on my legs and big uh, yellow floppy feet on the basketball court at ball state in indiana so, uh, uh, yes, that was the beginning of my wear something around the head and be sweating profusely in it. <laughs> what was your go-to move to, to get them all jacked up? Oh, I had a good move. Uh, I can't show you because I'm too, I can't get far enough away from the camera, but it was a full body uh, flapping of the, of the wings uh, while I bounced my body up and down. So it looked like I was actually flying on one leg. I had the other leg kind of behind me while I was flapping up and down. It was, it was a crowd pleaser. Yeah. <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> very cool very cool all right we're gonna get into uh some fan questions and like i mentioned here at the beginning of the show doug we have some uh patreon members here mm-hmm. bring bring them in to ask you uh two fan questions and if uh if any of our listeners would like to do this they can uh, join our patreon patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod here they are hello Sammy and Ron from uh, Barrel Aged Chicks and Barrel Aged Flicks. Hey, what's up, Doug? Hello, Doug. Good to meet you both. Hi. I'm fangirling so hard this entire time. (laughs) Oh, oh, thank you so much. It's so sweet of you. Oh, my gosh. No, like, I've had the biggest things for Billy Butcherson, and I've seen all your movies, and I've, like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Aw. Um, okay, so I guess I asked my question. Yes, sure. Okay. So, since you are such an amazing transformative monster actor, what would be the most difficult prosthesis that you've ever had in your career? 
that you had to deal with. Oh, right. The farther from human you get, the harder it's going to be. So uh, if you see me, see me stand up in a humanoid sort of position, those are not easy, but they're mm-hmm. easier than when I played uh, when I played the mother bug in a horrible straight to video movie called Bug Buster. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a heinous job for me. Um, I had a big stinger coming out of my ass and I had big wings and my my, my bug head was up here somewhere and I had to like. It was on a, on a pulley contraption, uh, and I had big uh, six-foot pinchers that were attached to my own front arms, and then I had six legs coming out of my side. Oh my it was absolutely heinous to work in. And uh, uh, it was with uh, it was a silly comedy movie, of course, the name Bug Buster, uh, w- with Randy Quaid in it uh, as a supporting <laughs> player. My scene was with Randy Quaid. Uh, but the, these, these insects are attacking a small town. And no one knows where they're coming from and they're killing people. Uh, so finally they bring in Randy Quaid, who was like this ex-military guy with big Coke bottle glasses. And like, yeah, we're going to kick some bug ass. Where are so he finds a cave outside of town where they're coming from. He gets into the cave and people are dying off left and right. So he's well, one of the last people left in the town. So he gets in there by himself uh, and he finds the mother bug guarding her <laughs> pile of eggs and uh, so I had to, uh, then he, so he tries to kill me. He, he yells at me and, and goes, has this monologue and he, he pulls out a gun and goes, boom, 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 and the bullets don't, don't kill me. Then he pulls out a, uh, like a fire thrower and then his flames don't kill me. Then he pulls out a CO2 gun and to try to freeze me. That doesn't work. So he throws all of his weapons down and says, come on, man, you and me, mano y mano. So that's where it got weird. Uh, we have we have this hand to hand like fight, like 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 uh, like Casey was saying he was a wrestler in, in previous. We did, we did some wrestling moves, Casey. Uh, so it, it we're bouncing off the walls of a cave and rolling around on the ground, and you know, and I told Randy ahead of time I have these six foot long pinchers on my front arms. That's what I have. And I think they're pretty sharp. They're made of fiberglass. I don't know. Be careful. Oh, we'll be fine, Doug. Don't you worry about a thing. <laughs> so uh, 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 action. And this camera is following us around this entire fight scene. We're all choreographed. <laughs> swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> End up on the ground with him on his back and me on, on top of him. Cut. And I had to get pulled off of him and put back onto my little bug chair. <laughs> and... And I told the little assistant girl with me, I said, um, can you check on Randy? I didn't see him get up. Uh, so so I, she goes over to the other side of the cave and I hear, I hear, uh, uh, Doug, buddy, can you hear me? It's Randy. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. I'm, we're good to go again. So I guess Randy's okay. The next voice I heard, a young production assistant, maybe 20 years old, says, um, um, excuse, can I get some ice over here? I can't stop the bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> I had gashed Randy Quaid's forearms, both of them, and he was bleeding profusely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. That's yeah, crazy. But we, we did, we, he bandaged up. We did a take, too. He, he was a good sport. Good sport. That's awesome. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh. Very cool. The Very longer cool. story than I'm that you asked for. I'm sorry about that. No, that was oh, amazing. No. I'm perfect. totally going to go watch Bugbusters now. <laughs> <laughs> I got a simple question for you. Uh, it, it's something I always ask a lot of people, but I, I'm, I'm really curious. And by the way, loved your performance in Shape of Water. That's 
Thank a you. great performance. Seriously, I enjoy the Thank hell you. out of that. And uh, every performance you've done, you are just a master at uh, with the um, the uh, suits and everything. It's you're, you're great at it. I love watching you. Thank you. What is your favorite movie of all time? I'm I'm curious. Like your favorite movie, your go to movie oh. that you can watch over and over again. Well, uh, I have a handful, but uh, and we watched one of them just last night. The Mrs. and I, uh, Notting Hill, with uh, Julia Roberts and that's a Hugh, good movie. Hugh Grant. I, I'm a feel good, uh, light hearted, um, happy ending type of movie watcher. Uh, yeah. So, but if I was going to be banished to a deserted island and only had one movie I could take with me on DVD, yep. that movie would be Somewhere in Time, 1980, with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. It is a time travel romance that happens, at, and it all takes place on on Mackinac Island in Michigan. Beautiful right. at, the, at the Grand Hotel there. Uh, uh, he goes back in time to meet the love of his life that he saw through a picture. A photograph of her that takes it that that really spoke to him. So he goes back in time to find her. It's a oh, I just it's uh, yeah. And Jane Seymour was like drop dead, jaw to the ground, gorgeous. And, and Christopher Reeve was in. It had just come off of uh, his first um, Superman movie. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. I could I could watch that one and have again and again and again. Wow, I'm I'm gonna watch that movie now. I, I've never seen that. There you one. go. I've never, I've, yeah, somewhere somewhere Christopher time. Reeve. Christopher Reeve is awesome. So somewhere in time. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doug. Big love. Thank you guys. Bye. All right, love you guys. Bye. All right. So uh Jacob Stewart would like to know your favorite and least favorite character that you embodied. Well, yeah, again, favorites and least favorites are that's that, that's picking out of a 37 year career. It's almost impossible to do. Um, sure. But uh, like somebody um, asking what their favorite, uh, who's your favorite child, right? Exactly. A parent can't say that. So because <laughs> right. I, I don't want to diminish anything else I've done by saying by picking the favorite. Uh, but all of them, have, every character I play, I have to connect with and I have to fall in love with in some way or another so that I can play them correctly. And that would even include the bad guys. So, um, you know, the, the gentleman from Buffy the Vampire Slayer has a certain place in my heart because of how just, just horrifically silent evil that the, the gentlemen were. But I do, I do, I love Abe Sapiens. Um, his his gen, gentle, uh, intelligent touch on a superhero team. I love the Silver Surfer for his quiet strength. That I, I just, it, it was a, that was a lesson for me that less is more. Because uh, I tend to flap my hands around when I talk and make a lot of facial expressions, and and the Silver Surfer didn't have to do that. I, I love Saru on Star Trek Discovery that I'm uh, playing. Uh, season five will be coming out early 2024, and that will be our final season. We just found out. So uh, Saru on Star Trek, I've gotten to know better than any other character I've ever played because I've just played him for longer. I've had more screen time with Saru than any other character in my 37 year career. So that's given me a chance to explore and peel back more layers of a character than any one ever before, because I just, we've had more time to explore more of him. Uh, So, you know, he's an alien from outer space uh, who is very, also very gentlemanly and very poised and very refined. uh, And also uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve. So he's very emotionally connected and, and expressive too. So I really, really love him. I love playing Baron Afanas on what we do in the shadows. He is so goofy and silly. It's like, I, I love all things vampire anyway. And uh, so when you get to do like a TV show, that's sort of like the office, but with vampires, Oh, talk about 
you know, my, my love for comedy and my love for, for vampires like combined. And, and that's the, that's the most perfect show. So, uh, and the Baron is like this, you know, this old school sort of Nosferatu like, uh, character who is just stupid and goofy, like all the other vampires on the show. <laughs> uh, great fun to play with Billy Butcher's in from Hocus Pocus. Again, he's a zombie who just wants to go back and take a nap again. I can relate to that almost every day. And then, um, oh golly, the, the, the list goes on and on for favorites. And least favorites would be maybe that bu- that mother bug from Bugbuster, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned a bunch of things there that have to do with our fan questions. So let's start with this one. Michael Ortiz, uh, he wants to know, is there any chance of a Saru spinoff from uh, Star Trek Discovery? Uh, well... I don't know what the what the network or uh, producers might be thinking about that. I uh, but I I've, oh, I'm 62 years old now, and I've worn an awful lot of rubber bits in my life, and I, I I've been there and done that with Saru now. Uh, so I'm not sure how much more Saru I need to play. Um, you know, but again, as an actor, uh, I can sometimes be a whore if they're offering enough money. I'll show up with my lipstick <laughs> on. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um i'm not uh i'm not familiar with that show uh star trek is that uh how many episodes do they do they put out is it a just a weekly show it's yeah yes it's on it streams on paramount plus and it's uh, uh our first our we've had a different number of episodes per season uh but it, it's a shorter format than, than the old 26 episodes you know format for network television our first, our first season was 15 episodes. Our second season was t- 14. And then we've been 13, 13. And now uh, we're, uh, season five was only 10 episodes. So, okay. uh, yeah. So you're in that suit a lot. I mean, a lot. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, something else you mentioned there in, uh, in talking Buffy. Uh, spoil my movie podcast. They would like to know um, what was it like to work with Sarah Michelle Geller on Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, first of all, being a guest star on Buffy the Vampire Slayer was exciting. Anyway, uh, the, by the time I was on the show, I think it was season four, so it was already had its uh, its popularity, its following, and uh, Joss Whedon has already had already proven himself as a brilliant, you know, showrunner, creator, writer. So. This episode, the Hush episode that I played in, was um, uh, written and directed by Joss Whedon, which, you know, so television, every episode is directed by different people and the writers can change through the staff uh, from different episode to episode. So the fact that he came out of his office to do this one, to have it hands on with this episode, we knew it was going to be special anyway. So uh, here I was, this silent killer. And Sarah Michelle Gellar was young in that day. She was quite a she started the show very young and so by the time i met her she was still in her you know i think early to mid 20s and uh and as a number one on a call sheet kind of actor actor she was she was great and very gracious with us uh and a crew member told me though said that that uh if sarah likes you you'll get along great and so she apparently she did (laughs) so we got we got along great but i i had to uh I had to attempt to kill her in a little scene where we had a big action at the end of this, of the episode was she had a showdown with us and there was some kicking and there was some swiping of knives and things. And uh, so I had to put a knife into her back and hold her. Uh, and so there, I, I got 
it's funny. She didn't make a fuss over it at all, but her crew members and all the crew that work with her every day on the show were, uh, were very protective of her. And it was nice to see actually. Uh, they, they were telling me like, listen, you're a guest star. You're going to be gone after this episode's done. Do not hurt our Sarah. Right. I'm like, okay, okay. I will. Yeah. So they were, they were very quick to remind me that she's, uh, they're, they're all there because of her <laughs> and I better not ruin their gig. <laughs> and I don't blame them for that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have one more question here. One more fan question. Uh, Brad Franca. He's from, uh, Bev's video kingdom another podcast on our network. Ask, uh, ask Doug if he enjoyed working on the danger element and sock baby with John Soros <laughs> and Justin Spurlock. I guess, uh, yeah, he, they're from that area, like up in the Oakdale area. Is that where that Modesto? That was? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, up in California. Right. Um, I had a ball working on the danger element and the sock baby episode that I did. Uh, I met John Soros, who is, he has a screw loose in his head and, and I've told him that many times and he appreciates <laughs> hearing that. Um, he's a, uh, and, and Justin Spurlock, the, it's a bunch of friends that got together to start making this, this silly web series up in Modesto and California. And, uh, uh, I met John Soros and I think, and Justin, they were standing in line at San Diego comic-con when Guillermo del Toro and I were there uh, promoting Pan's Labyrinth before it came out. So that would have been, that would have been uh, in July of 2006. I'm going to say, I think that was right. Yes. It was July of 2006. Uh, So we did a little poster signing. The movie hadn't come out yet. Nobody knew what Pan's Labyrinth was. Uh, but uh, but the first Hellboy movie had been out by then, and John Soros was a huge fan of the Hellboy movies and and of of Guillermo del Toro's previous work as well. So they stood in line and met us, and and he gave me a DVD. Here's some here's some silly things we've done with uh, my production company. So I actually went home, and months later, finally found that DVD, and I thought I'm going to pop this in. Watched it, and it was hilarious tomfoolery with a lot of stunt fighting and really, really well done stunt fighting with yeah. a bunch of like friends that get together. So I, um, uh, I got back with him right away going, um, uh, I just finally saw your DVD. I met you at Comic-Con. Who are you? What, uh, what can I be in of yours? And so that's when sock baby part four came up. Uh, they wanted me, I played myself an evil version of Doug Jones in yeah. that. And then the danger element was a feature film that, that he pulled together where I got to play Dr. Elemus. I was this evil scientist uh, with an, uh, an indistinguishable accent uh, some, somewhere in Europe. <laughs> so I kind of made, made a French-German hybrid. And uh, uh, yeah, so it had some dark, uh, you know, uh, uh, serious moments in it. But it was also with silly people playing in it. So, you know, it was a great combo. Yeah. Yeah, they're really, I mean, for as, I'm sure they didn't have very much money to do those, but for as, you know, they were, mm-hmm. they're very well done. You know, the fight scenes, like you mentioned, they're great. Like, they're very yeah. well choreographed. Everything's filmed very well. Yeah. yeah they even yeah. had yeah, some and, in uh, Sock Baby. I think it was Sock Baby 3. They even had some, like, really cool special effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, doing that on, on like zero budget almost. Yeah, yeah. John Soros and his and his friends are very, very uh, talented young fellas. And um, and um, they, they, they can work up a computer and cameras really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, before we wrap up here, Doug, this is a question I always like to ask uh, our guests. Is there anything that you've been in that uh, you want more people to see that maybe they haven't seen? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, golly, I don't. Uh, hmm. That's a that's a great question. Well, uh, there there's going to be. I did shoot something last uh, this past August that it's not out yet. Uh, it's a new series. It's going to be on a a family friendly streaming service called PureFlix. Uh, PureFlix is a division of Sony, and um, they have this this family friendly faith based kind of uh, uh, platform called PureFlix. So it is uh, an anthology show called Destination Heaven. One of those episodes was written just for me, and I, my character is another human, uh, and he is a uh, he's a a used car salesman with shifty intentions. And uh, he has a heart attack, dies, meets God, gets a chance to come back and live his life the right way. And, uh, and comedy ensues. It was written and, and uh, directed by um, uh, the, uh, one of the original showrunners of that 70s show, Dean Vitale. And he's hilarious and a really great writer. So it was really lovely material to, to dig into. Uh, so there's that coming. And it was supposed to, that was supposed to be out in March on Pure Flix, and it hasn't come out yet. So I'm not sure where, why that series has been uh, postponed, but we'll, uh, sometime soon. And also, I did a uh, did a, uh, a version of Nosferatu. Um, my love of vampires uh, was was really fulfilled. Uh, getting to jump into the skin of Max Schreck, uh, we kind of recreating the silent film, but as a talkie with sound. So. Uh, original film footage was was created uh, was used to create backdrops that we then were filmed on green screen and plopped into that original film footage. So oh, that's wow. why it took so long in post production. We filmed it back you know years ago, and it's finally done now. So within the next uh, year, uh, within the next couple of months, you should be seeing a trailer for it online. Nosferatu the remix, and awesome. uh, and so I'm very excited that uh, the film should finally be seen in its entirety by the end of the year. Very cool. Very cool. I know I missed a lot. There's so much to cover. Ray, Ray, what do you have, bud? Uh, I got two quick hitters for him. Uh, the Bye Bye Man. I really like that movie. Is there any chance we could ever get an origin story where you're not in the makeup? Yeah, the Bye Bye Man. Uh, uh, their intention uh, making it was to was to keep the Bye Bye Man, the lead killer of the movie, which I played, uh, a mystery. Mm-hmm until they could do a sequel and that's where the backstory would come out. Well, our, uh, our film creator, uh, Stacy title has unfortunately passed away. So I'm not sure we're going to get to do a part two. Um, the bye bye man was not re uh, it was, it was met with some crit- with some financial success. It played in theaters across the country and, and did really well for the small budget that it had. And the, the return that it had was a success, but the critics Mm, they weren't. They weren't on us on our side <laughs> exactly. So I'm not sure if we get get to do that sequel ever or not. Mm. And then uh, Pencilhead and Mystery Men. Did you do that as a favor yeah. to? Them? <laughs> uh, that was that was all. Yes, I, that was a um, another little small cameo part. And uh, I think that movie. Gosh, we filmed that in 1998. Does that sound right to you? 97, yep, 98. Came out, came out um, in 99. So yeah. There you go. The um the director of of uh mystery men was um kinka usher and kinka usher was a, a renowned tv commercial director and i had done three commercials for him before that so he knew of me and he kind of came up with pencil head and, wa- and just earmarked it for me and is in his first feature film 
So of course I said, yes, I'll come do that for scale. I don't care. Uh, and, uh, and you will be surprised how many people say, ah, pencil head <laughs> all the time now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Doug. I I appreciate uh, you being here with us. Yeah, thank you so much, man. uh, Plugs, where can people find you? You Find me on any social media platform, except for I'm not on the TikTok. That's the one I I, I love the kids play with that one. Uh, I'm I'm on uh, 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 Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Snapchat, uh, <laughs> Tumblr, and you can find me actor Doug Jones. All run together, no punctuation. Actor Doug Jones on all of them. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Bye bye. Take care, you guys. Thanks again for having me. Mm-hmm.